everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me welcome you and say that I am so glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So we are going to begin today by jumping right into a passage of scripture that is found in Mark chapter 2. It's a very well-known account, but we are going to be looking at it, um, or just one specific component of it really today. And I hope to draw out an application for you that will be very helpful and very uh, encouraging and give you a very clear action step on something to do if you are not already doing it. Um, So Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. We'll pause there. That's verses 1 and 2 of Mark 2. So Jesus returns to to Capernaum. Uh, People find out about it. They crowd around the house. And uh, it gets really, uh, really crowded. And it says, uh, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And so this house is, you know, is full of people. And it says, And he was preaching the word to them. So he starts preaching to these people. He starts teaching them. Continuing in verse 3, it says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So that was verse 3. So there is this paralyzed man, and he is being carried by four men, and they are seeking to bring him to Jesus. Continuing verse 4, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So, (laughs) it's verse 4. I mean, again, sometimes you hear something enough that you just don't really think about it so much, but if you actually paint this scene in your mind, it's really incredible. These friends are so determined. They are so determined to get their friend, this paralyzed man, to Jesus that they're willing to do whatever it takes. The house is too crowded. People are blocking their way. I mean, like it said, there was no room, not even at the door. And so what do they do? They, they get on the roof and they rip open a hole in the roof and they lower down the man. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so they, they lower him down right near Jesus. Concern, uh, I'm sorry, continuing verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So that was, I just finished out the passage right there. That was Mark 2, 1 through 12. And there are really a a lot of different things that we could draw out uh, from this account. Like we could talk about how um, this passage shows that Jesus is God. He has the authority to forgive sins. Um, he he proves that he has the authority to forgive sins um, with the miracle of healing this guy as well. 
and he, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways we could talk about this, but like I said, there's just one specific component that I want to focus on today, and it's, it's the paralyzed guy and his four friends. I already talked about this a little bit, but there are these four guys carrying this guy, and they're, they're determined to get him to Jesus. They're determined to get him in front of Jesus. I mean, it, and, and again, I don't want to, you know, put thoughts into their head, but it seems like what they're saying is like, we just, we, if we can just get him to Jesus, if we can just get him to Jesus, let's just get him to Jesus. And they were willing to do whatever they could to do that, obviously, even uh, <laughs> vandalism. <laughs> and so um, they're carrying him. They remove the roof, right? Part of the roof. They made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These are some good friends. These are some some really um, incredible friends. But the paralyzed man and these friends had great faith. And that is illustrated by the fact that they were willing to do all this. And it even says it in the text. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And the passage continues on. And so we see that this was, um, these these were people... um, this was an illustration. This was an illustration of faith. But let me just kind of bring this forward to you and ask the question that, um, that I hope will lead to a really clear application very quickly, and that's this. Who is carrying you to Jesus? Who are the people in your life who have grabbed a corner of your mat and are carrying you to the Lord? Who are the people that are saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring this person before the throne of grace. And uh, to speak a little bit less figuratively, just to make this a little clear, who is genuinely praying for you? Who are the people in your life that you can be, you know, who, who you are transparent with, who know your struggles, who know your weaknesses, and who can actually pray for you in an informed way? Back in January of this year, it's, uh, it's currently April 25th of 2023, but back in January of this year, uh, I felt like the Lord really uh, spoke to me through this account and showed me that I, I needed to be reaching out to people uh, to grab a corner of my mat and, you know, asking them to bring me um, before the Lord to, to pray for me. You know, I've shared on this podcast uh, plenty of times at this point that I've had battles with things like anxiety and depression. And so I, you know, was reaching out to these people. I shared with, I mean, some of them were people that I had already would, would occasionally reach out to, but I really widened the circle. I made a list of people at that point and I reached out to them and, uh, shared some, uh, you know, just, just shared with them and, and asked for prayer. Um, but the whole thing with like, uh, anxiety and fear and, and, uh, depression and things like that. And so I began to ask them and, and these are people, um, I, uh, I didn't just, you know, blast this out indiscriminately. These are people who I'm like, okay, I think I'm confident that these people care about me and that they will pray in faith. Like I actually believe they will pray and I believe that they care about me. And so this wasn't indiscriminate. It was very, um, very deliberate, uh, who I asked and, um, and they did, they began praying for me. And, uh, and, and so fast forward a few months, it's, uh, the Lord has shown me in this, this realization came about just recently that the anxiety, the depression, um, fear of man, things like that, things that I have wrestled with, um, 
for frankly, to be honest with you, in some degree, in, in kind of some manifestation for as long as I can remember throughout my life, um, although I didn't see them uh, as such. And, and again, they manifested themselves just kind of in different ways in different times. But but it's shown me that those things, they're just symptoms. They're symptoms. And so the reason why I'm sharing this right now, this is a, a personal illustration of what I'm talking about. But the reason why I'm sh- sharing this is because I believe that there are going to be people who can hear this and they're going to be able to relate to this. So there are symptoms. And what were they symptoms of? And I'm not going to get too deep into this because that's not the point of this conversation. But it's symptoms of the fact that in my heart, and this is for as long as I can remember, I have carried around pain and hurt that was never healed. That was never actually healed. And I've been operating out of that. And that's, you know, manifested itself as things like uh, it's worked itself out as like anxiety, um, uh, perfectionism, fear of man, uh, being really, really sensitive to criticism or correction or things like that, you know, in tons of different ways. And so, but all these things began to click and the Lord showed me um, that, um, that, it's, these things are just symptoms of the hurt. And why I wanted to include that really quickly, and again, this is not the point of the conversation, but you know, if we just treat symptoms, if we just treat symptoms, then that doesn't solve the ultimate issue. It's like continually taking ibuprofen over and over and over again for a headache when in reality, you know, the question should be, well, what's actually causing this? Because, you know, to have an occasional headache, that's one thing, but to have a consistent headache over and over and over again, and you're just trying to manage the pain, it's like, well, okay, well, what What's the reason? Why Why is this happening? And, um, you know, we will uh, often refer to the Lord as, uh, you know, we'll call him the great physician, right? And I even think about just with even with earthly physicians, well, what do you do? You go and you tell them your symptoms. You tell them your symptoms. You go in there and you say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm experiencing. And this is what I'm experiencing. And it is the doctor's job to diagnose and prescribe, and, uh, and, and obviously the difference between the Lord and earthly physicians is that, um, God never misdiagnoses. He always sees things perfectly. He always knows the ins and outs of everything 100% perfectly. And so we just need to bring the, to the Lord, the symptoms and say, Lord, please give me your perspective. Help me to see what is actually going on here. And this is not a, this is not something that we are supposed to do in isolation. We need to bring other people into this who, like I said, will grab a corner of the mat and bring us to Jesus. And likewise, we need to be willing to grab a corner of the mat and to bring others to Jesus. Um, we never are going to outgrow the need to, um, to be in vulnerable, genuine Christian community and pray for one another. We're never going to outgrow the need of prayer uh, this side of heaven. Let's just, you know, make that clear. But my point for the conversation today is that we're this, this should not be done in isolation. Um, isolation leads nowhere good. To be isolated is to be vulnerable, is to be exposed, and it really is to be... Um, in a very, just a a dangerous place. You don't ever want to be isolated. And I would draw a clear distinction as many others have before me between isolation and solitude. Solitude is a good thing, but that's a temporary withdrawing to be alone, to seek the Lord, um, to recalibrate, uh, to reflect, to do things like that. And then, you know, reconnecting with community, whereas isolation is like detachment from community. I mean, Jesus, uh, let's see here, back in Mark chapter one, we were just in Mark two. So if you flip back one page, In Mark chapter 1, it says in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 
So we see Jesus, that was Mark 135, we see him withdrawing to go be with his heavenly father. But Jesus was constantly among the people, you know, but he would withdraw. He would seek these times of solitude. And so, of course, he's our model in, in, in every way. And so solitude is good, and we should be seeking solitude with the Lord, but isolation, that is something that's that's something that's not good. And so even just in the, you know, what I've been sharing about myself, it's like, you know, I talk about how, oh, the Lord showed me that it's actually pain and it's not, the primary issue isn't anxiety and depression. Um, and let me just say really quickly, um, I realize that anxiety and depression are very complicated issues with a lot of different factors. Um, it can be, you know, uh, mental, physiological, many things like that. And I'm, and I'm not making sweeping statements across the board as to, saying if somebody is anxious, it's just because they have unhealed pain. Of course, I'm, I wouldn't make such an overgeneralized statement, but I'm just saying for me, I was spending so much time treating symptoms as opposed to looking at root causes. And uh, if you heal the, you know, and if the, if the root is healed, if the Lord heals the root, then the fruit will also be uh, restored and, and what it produces will be good. And so I just wanted to encourage people, encourage you guys to look into the mirror and say, okay, well, what is, and ask the Lord to show you what's going on like what's causing this and let the Lord to show you, let the Lord to interpret that and show you what's behind this. Why, you know, with, with all sorts of things. And so, but anyways, so I said that, you know, the Lord showed me that I was operating out of pain and hurt and unhealed kind of internal wounds. And that's manifesting itself as all these sorts of things. But let me tell you how that came. Those realizations came in large part through his people. You know, as you, you know, as people, you know, would pray for me and um, as I would be open and talk to people about, you know, X, Y, or Z, he, I, you know, he would speak through people. And of course, he'll also speak to our hearts, but I mean, but we're made for community. And so, for example, um, I was having a conversation with uh, my wife, Lacey, actually on our, our date last week. And in the course of that conversation, some things just clicked that are a big part of the conversation today. In fact, that was kind of the moment that I really, really began to crystallize even more um, that I was like, oh, okay, these things are, these things are just symptoms. And so, well, who revealed that to me? Well, the Lord did, of course. And how did he do it? He did it through Lacey and, and, you know, and through other sources as well. It's like, oh, he's speaking through like all sorts of means. And so my, my point is that we, uh, we're not we're not designed for isolation. We're not designed for um, to to be a loner. Let's look at just briefly to to strengthen this point even more. Just the example of the body of Christ. And so you know we we have this image that we're each individually members of the body of Christ. And and uh, I'm looking at First Corinthians chapter twelve right now. And I mean I acknowledge that the the context of this uh, is about spiritual gifts. However, there's an application here that helps us to visualize what it is that we're talking about. So uh, I'm just going to start reading um, beginning in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and I'll kind of hop around a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and following. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so I actually just read 1 Corinthians 12, 12, all the way down through verse 27 there. I didn't um, realize I was going to read the whole passage. But when I started, I thought, I'll just keep going. But um, but like I said, this is talking about, you know, in, in primarily talking about spiritual gifts and the functioning of uh, the church, the body. However, I do think there's a principle here, and I I just want to reread at the end here, just um, listen to verses 25 through 27 once more, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Notice that, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, we can we understand this illustration in, in, in ourselves. You know, it's like if our foot hurts, I mean, we're not sitting there thinking, oh, you know, that's the foot's problem. I'm not going to worry about that. It's like, no, my, my whole body is consciously aware of the fact that the foot is in pain and wants to alleviate the pain of the foot. And if and that's that's important to realize where, I mean... That's just normal, normal functioning. Um, let me flip back to John chapter 13 really quickly. And this is a pretty, uh, pretty well-known passage, but Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this mutual, genuine, Jesus-like love is a defining mark of his followers. You know, earlier in that very same chapter in in John 13, Jesus, of course, washed the disciples' feet. And he said, beginning in verse 13 of John 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. My point that I'm just making is that in the body of Christ, there shouldn't be any lone sheep, that we should be in community. Coming back to the illustration of the body, if a foot was severed from the body, well, that wouldn't be good. We need to realize that it is through other parts of the body that the Lord will um, work in our lives and vice versa. And of course, do we have a direct relationship with him as well? Yes, of course we do. That's uh, I'm not saying otherwise, but what I am saying is this. If your left elbow itches, your brain's going to tell you your right hand to scratch it, is it not? 
And, you know, it works similarly in the body of Christ. He's going to work through his people in your life and vice versa. And so this brings us back to the beginning. Who's grabbing a corner of your mat? Who is bringing you to the Lord? Who loves you and who is willing to say, um, I'm going to do anything. I'm going to do anything to get this person in front of Jesus. I'm going to pray. Um, and again, this is not to imply that um, you don't have direct access to Jesus. That's, of course, not what I would imply at all. We all have equal access to the Lord, those of us who are born again. And and if you're not born again, you could be born again today. Um, but my point is this. You know, we have you know passages like the body of Christ, uh, passage that we were just looking at. And we have verses like Galatians. This is a verse that we've read on, on this podcast plenty of times. But Galatians 6, 2, which says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That can't be done in isolation. You can't bear one another's burdens in isolation. If we go over here to Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That cannot be done in isolation. Can it? You go to James chapter 5, and it says down here in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so, I mean, you you can't do that in isolation. And I would draw a very, um, and this is a point that many people have drawn out, this passage says healed, uh, not not forgiven. And so I think that that is an an important uh, distinction. But, But that's you know, a different conversation. But my point is this, we are not meant to operate in isolation. And here's a reality. We're all facing something. I mean, let's be real. I mean, all of us go through varying things and, um, we all, you know, have battles that we face and, and, uh, you know, what prompted me to begin reaching out to people was, was these battles with, um, fear, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. And the Lord has, um, really, done a lot of incredible stuff in this year so far. And it's, you know, it's, it's only, you know, late April right now. And, uh, and and a lot of really great things have happened and, and it's not happened in isolation. He's used other members of the body in my life. Now, let me point out, um, an aspect of this that would be, uh, that can, that can be a difficult hurdle to get past, which is a very important one for us to get past. If we're going to, you know, invite people in, be vulnerable with them, ask them for prayer, and this should be mutual, and we should be doing this in, in the lives of others as well. Um, uh, sometimes we're in, you know, uh, weaker places, sometimes they're in weaker places, but there definitely should be um, mutuality here. But what's it going to require of us? It's going to require that we have publicly acknowledged that we do not have it all together. Because exactly what we're talking about right now is um, it's, it's admitting need. It's admitting the need for help. It's acknowledging that we don't have it all figured out. To put it simply, it's just being a normal human being and letting other people see us as such. And, um, you know, this, this is a very important thing for us to do because, uh, it's not only, not only, you know, do we want people praying for us and bringing us before the throne of grace, but we need to remember verses like James four, six, that says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
We need to remember verses like Matthew 23, 12, where Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. By being vulnerable with people, you are humbling yourself. And by humbling yourself, you are putting yourself in the best position possible. Like Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The way that my mentor puts it, he says, the way up is down. The way up is down. And um, he actually points to uh, Philippians chapter 2, where, you know, Jesus uh, talks about how he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, therefore God has highly exalted him and, and how, you know, Jesus is that is that model for us. But um, this is going to require humility and vulnerability, but it's good. It's good. We, um, we are sometimes afraid to take the mask off because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of hurt. We're afraid of all sorts of things. But let me say something clearly. Is it risky whenever you're vulnerable with other human beings? Well, of course it is. Of course it's risky. You're opening up and you're being vulnerable. And to be vulnerable is to open yourself up to potential pain. But let me say this, something far worse will happen if you refuse to be vulnerable. You will just begin to shrivel up if you if you refuse to open up to anybody. Because one of the most, um, I think one of the, uh, just a really great need that we have is to be vulnerable and loved. And you know this, you can think of times possibly when you opened up to somebody and it was scary to do so and you were met with love. Like you were met with, I mean, it doesn't mean that they agreed with everything you said. It doesn't mean that um, they completely endorsed every every action that you may have done in the process, but you knew you were loved. And um, and and you could even say, well, why why is this necessary? Why can't I just settle this with the Lord? Well, one, like I said, that could actually foster pride. But but two, this is just how God has made things. This is how He has you know He has placed us into a body, into a community. And so. Um, I just, uh, this is, this is very, very important. And there's some of you listening who know that as soon as this is over, you need to reach out to somebody. You need to reach out to someone. Um, and you know, before going on, let me say this, you know, you're listening to a podcast right now and that's really great. I'm glad you're listening to this. I hope you continue to do so. And, um, my, my greatest hope is that the Lord speaks to you through this. However, you're, you know, we're not in a room together. Like there's, I mean, we can listen to podcasts and sermons all day long and yet do it in isolation. You, you need to be in a community in a, and again, I'm not just talking about, you know, going to church at which you should do. I absolutely go to church for sure. Um, but you can go to church without actually being vulnerable or being known. I'm talking about having some people in your life that you can be vulnerable with and ask for prayer. Now, you say, well, what if I don't have those people? Well, the first step is that you pray because, I mean, I fully believe that it's God's will that you have those people in your life. And so when you pray, you can, I think, pray in faith that the Lord will bring those people. But then you also do something. You also get connected to a local church. You go and you sign up for a small group or something like that. And within that small group, there may be a person or two that you really connect with that you feel like is godly. You ask God will bring you, that he'll bring you a mentor or someone to disciple you. Um, you begin to... Um, just be vulnerable. Um, you meet with your pastor. 
uh, seeking out a good Christian counselor, uh, an emphasis on Christian counselor, because you need to have somebody who has a good foundational uh, worldview, who has a biblical worldview, of course, uh, would be possible and a good next step. But you need to just, you just got to start being vulnerable. And we also, okay, we need to be vulnerable. And we also need to be someone with whom others can be vulnerable. Like I said, we'll be on both sides of this equation at different times. And um, so if, uh, if you don't have those people, begin to pray, ask God to bring them, and then go. Go get connected to, go talk to your pastor, go get connected to a church, um, start attending a small group, just be around people. And, um, and just ask God to give you wisdom in the process. So, um, let me just flip over here to second Corinthians. This will be the last passage that we talk about today, but it kind of brings this through to the end. Cause what we're talking about here is we're talking about, you know, when I, when we're hurting or when we have struggles, when we have battles and having people pray for us, like I said, to bring us before the throne of grace, you know, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock. Uh, not going to be open to you. We're asking people to join us in doing that and to do that on our behalf. And again, I'm sorry, just, just a ha, one more thing before we hop into this final passage, going back to the whole paralyzed man thing, you know, he, I mean, he was obviously, you know, complicit with his four friends. It was the four friends and him. They, 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 you know, there's nothing in the text to indicate that he did not want this as well. And so, but he got help and then bringing him Jesus. And I just want you to envision this guy, paralyzed man, legs don't work. Think about him trying to drag himself to Jesus, using his arms on his elbows, trying to drag himself to Jesus and how slow that process would be and how agonizing that would be. And, uh, how in that story, the people at the house would probably already be gone and everything like that. Who knows what time he would have gotten there. And these friends carried him there. And now, like I've said, I, we all have direct instant access to the Lord, those of us who are born again. And so I'm not implying that you don't have access to Jesus unless these people, you know, people, unless people carry you to him. Of course, I would never say that, but I do just think there's a principle here where it's like, listen, if you're hurting and you're needy, then ask people just to, to bring you to Jesus. Cause sometimes you may be struggling so much. You don't even feel like you can pray. I mean, let's just acknowledge that there, there might be times where you just feel so just, you know, weak that you just feel like you can't even pray. And I just want to say that if you find yourself isolated in places like that, then that's just not a good place to be. I mean, that would be, I mean, talk about just the shadows covering you and just sitting alone in darkness and, and just spiraling down. It's like, no, but if you have that in community, then it's going to be all right. It'll be okay. These people, they're going to bug you. They're going to seek you out. They're going to help you. They're going to pray for you. And that's just important. And so I just wanted to say that. So let's, let's just look at one final passage really quickly. Um, the, um, it's in second Corinthians one, three through 11. We're just going to skim across the surface with a lot of this. Cause there's just a couple things I want to point out. Um, verses three and four say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Um, this is a passage of scripture that Lacey shared with me um, that, uh, that the Lord brought to her mind when she was praying for me. And is is very meaningful very, very meaningful to me. And I, but listen to what it says. 
God comforts us in our affliction. And what does that lead to? Us being able to comfort others who are in any affliction. And so I just want to say this. If you're going through something right now, you're going to be able to help others as a result of it. You're going to be able to comfort and help others. And um, let me just go through this passage a little bit more. Um, resuming in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are uh, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So let me pause there. That was halfway through verse 8. And so obviously Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And so what he's saying isn't just random. Like he, he's referring to specific incidences that happen. And, but we're just looking at a couple of principles out of this. But yeah, so he's referring to this very specific incident. Um, the believers at Corinth obviously were familiar with it because he doesn't elaborate here what he's talking about specifically. It's, it's just like they presumably were already tracking. But then it goes on to say, continuing in verse 8, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So it's bad. Like it, they were, they were, it was bad. Continuing on, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so I just wanted to draw that out. So and again, I, I don't want to read things into this passage. Paul is talking direct, uh, specifically about a, you know, there's principles that we can draw out, but I mean, he's talking about something that, that happened. And, but what are a couple of the principles that I want to draw out? First off, if you go back to the first verses we read, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And I'll just pause halfway through it. And so just those big words, those, well, they're actually small words, they're all, that's a small word, but it, with big implications. And so I just want to say that we, uh, you know, what we face falls under the banner of all. And so I just want, I do just want to say that. And so it says, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction uh, uh, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so there is this principle that is just like um, that God comforts us in our affliction. That comfort will lead to, um, you know, we'll be able to uh, speak into others' lives uh, with an authority that we wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, you you know this, but when somebody has been through a whole lot and they speak on something like, you know, uh, being comforted by God. It's like, you're, you, it's almost like you feel like, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. Um, but then going on down here, I do love how it says that this was to make us, re- it says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I mean, we should constantly be moving in a greater, in the direction of greater and greater dependence on God. But then that last line where he says, last verse rather, he says, you must, you also must help us by prayer. You also must help us by prayer. Paul requested prayer. Um, and that's an example of the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't outgrow this need, right? We don't, we don't outgrow the need uh, for the intercessions of others, for the, uh, the prayers of others. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, let me flip over to um, Ephesians 6. Um, 
looking at Ephesians 6, this is at the end of the armor of God passage. Uh, I'm just going to pick up in verse uh, 18 and read through 20. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so I just use this as an example. So here's another place where the Apostle Paul was requesting prayer. So you you don't you know you don't outgrow this. You don't outgrow the need for this. And so um just close with two simple questions for you. Who who is holding the corners of your mat and whose mat should you be holding the corners of? Who is carrying you to Jesus and who are you carrying to Jesus? And um, I just want to encourage you to be vulnerable and transparent with people and to humble yourself and to let people in if you're not. And if you are, then you see the importance of what I'm talking about. So I hope this has been encouraging and helpful for you. And as just one final uh, remark, I do just want to say that no matter what you're going through, God is able, um, he's able to comfort you. Remember from the passage, it says he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. And so he's able to comfort you. um, And he will uh, likely do that through other people. All right. Um, I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that any and all gifts given are indeed tax deductible. So thank you so much to all of you who have given and uh, you've heard about some of the impact that that has made. And uh, if, if you feel so led to give, you can find instructions on how to do so in the footer of every podcast episode. But thanks again so much, guys, for listening. Until next time, God bless you.